Welcome to the Rodeo Labs podcast. We've got a good episode today. We're talking about the Atlas Mountain Race that will get underway at the start of February. But personally, I've never done the Atlas Mountain Race. I've just heard about it. It's just been something that has been in the ether of gravel adventure bikepacking races and something that I have always had a keen interest in. Luckily for me, there are people in the rodeo universe who are very intimately acquainted with the race. So we thought we'd bring them in to the discussion. First and foremost, joining us today is Ashley Carlock. Hey there. Ashley, what is your relationship with the Atlas Mountain Race? Um, a tumultuous one? No, I loved it. I, I was, I, uh, I raced, I raced uh, last year, which had been October of 2022. Also joining us is Stephen Fitzgerald, who in 2020 had his own adventure in Morocco. I did. Uh, I got to do the first version, and it was life changing. Uh, but we're we're not so much here to talk about my version. We really want to know how it went for Ashley because it sounds, from what I've read, it was a incredible and incredibly challenging uh, in many ways. Um, and yeah, that's intriguing and. Obviously, you're one of the people that we love working with, so we want to hear about it. Stephen is here just to get the details, the minutiae, because as great as Stephen did in 2020, Ashley was the women's winner last year. So we really wanted to get her thoughts and feelings. The Atlas Mountain Race most simply is a bikepacking race. It's 1,300 kilometers long in Morocco. So it's mountainous, it's arduous, it's off-road, it's gnarly, and it is starting soon. So Ashley, what appealed to you about the Atlas Mountain Race? You know, it started back in like 20, what was it, Stephen? 2021? Um, uh, well, I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you, yeah. Did I reach out to you? you and I said, you oh, did. You, gotta you do were this. like, man, would you want to do the Atlas Mountain Race? And I had already seen, I guess, that documentary that they made on it. And I thought, man, you know, I've never been to Africa and I hear really good things about Morocco. Um, I'm in, you know, and so then we waited, we waited for COVID. And it was just this, it's like, and poor, poor Nelson had to like cancel it and reschedule, cancel, reschedule. Um, And then finally it, you know, it happened. And so, yeah, you know, it, it, it was just something that I really, I really wanted to do. When when I saw that it was in October, I was like, no, I'm not waiting for February. I want to, I want to go, you know? <laughs> yeah. Steven, you were originally going to go to this edition or last year's edition or last February's edition. Yeah. Those are all the same <laughs> thing. Uh, Cause it was supposed to be February of 2021, uh-huh. which is hard to believe that that was possible, but it wasn't possible. The country was still closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they moved it to October of 2021, uh, which seemed really likely based mm-hmm. on how things were looking. And then, then was it Omicron? It was I don't even know. COVID got, yeah, got terrible again and shut the whole thing down again. Um, and then, yeah, was it, yeah, it just kept, he just moved it for the entire year back to the next October, yep. I guess. Yeah, he didn't even try for February. Yeah. He's like, well, let's just give this a yeah, lot of time. Yeah, which was wise of him to do that. And it worked out for me because I got to do a cross Andes again, which I got attacked by dogs. But, I mean, it was all good. You know, I, I really loved that race. Oh, right. <laughs> so, I mean, it yeah. still ended up all working out. But as soon as I knew that it was going to happen, I, I jumped on it. And I think there was like four of us that were supposed to go, and I was the only one that ended up going. Yeah. It was going to be a real throwdown of rodeo homie friends. <laughs> uh, and you're the only one who yeah. made it. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't willing to do it in October. I was worried about mm. heat. I was burned out. Uh, and yeah, well, I just saw that like the October that I decided not to do it, I feel like uh, it set a record uh, for hottest temperature maybe ever recorded either on that day or period mm. in Morocco. And I thought, 
I, I can't do 117 degrees on a bike or whatever it was. So I failed. So, so Stephen, originally, what drew you to that race in 2020? Uh, you know, the cool thing about that race was I think a lot of us had been watching Silk Road, which was like over the top huge and just larger than life. And uh, and it just seemed like, could I do that? And I think I, I think I decided no. And then uh, and then he immediately came out with this right after Silk Road. Nelson did. Uh, and it was like, wait, this is way shorter uh, and it's in the desert. Uh, or deserty areas so it's maybe i don't need to worry about wild animals and things like that so it seemed more bite-sized and maybe a little bit less um anything can happen uh and i was just at the time thought i'm not doing anything creative or interesting in my life or on a bike um and it would be a good time to just challenge myself with something crazy hard um because i'd never bike packed and that was why it was appealing so it had a lot of an intersection of a lot of different cool, cool factors. And it was like Africa. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Before, true, by the, way. before the, the Atlas mountain race, I didn't know of really any events going on in Africa. It was very limited and it seemed like it was this place, this whole continent that was sort of untapped mm -hmm. with cycling potential. Ashley, when was, were you able to kind of take in that, that 2020 edition? Was that where the seeds kind of became planted or was it sort of later on in the process when you had that conversation with Stephen, when you were sort of parsing through what you wanted your objectives to be? It was, it was probably during that 2020 when I had seen um, somehow on the social media or, or something, you know, I had just seen about, about the race and I thought that's my next, that's the one I want to do next. It was kind of, and he emailed me. It was really funny actually, because I remember thinking about it and then he emailed me like two days later. I was like, well, cool. <laughs> I guess it's meant to be, you know, it, it was synergy. It, it was some synergy there for sure. Yeah. I, um, I, I'm, I, I, I would, I would go back and do it again. Like if I had, if I had the funds and the ability and the whatever, I would go back in February and do it again. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Well, wow. Right away. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's take a couple steps back. Um, you started cycling in 2013. Yeah. You kind of transitioned from a running background where you were um, kind of struggling with finding your competitive niche while balancing health, uh, moving to a new state in Colorado. Um, how has it been for these 10 years kind of leading up to this? And why do you gravitate towards bikepacking racing? Um, it's been good. It's been interesting. I never would have thought that I would have been here 10 years ago. I remember at one point looking at my husband and being like, man, wouldn't it be cool if I just got a discount on some food, you know, from like a nutrition sponsor. And, and then it, it just kind of took off. Um, and when I, when I got my pro license and I guess that was 2019, I, I just, I didn't want to do typical cross country. I knew it's not what I wanted. And there's something about being out there on your own day after day after day, or if it's a 24 hour race, you know, pushing through the night um, that just lights my soul on fire. I don't know why I can't, I can't say that it just makes my soul sing for some reason. Um, I like that bikepacking is um, it's self-sufficient and you have to kind of think on your feet. A lot of times I've had so many things happen to me. I've had some people would say it's bad luck, but I just think it's just the way it is. I'm not going to call it bad luck. It's just the way it is. And you have to kind of think on your feet and, and deal with what you've got going. And um, I, I love that about bikepacking. I love that it forces you to be in a desperate situation sometimes. <laughs> is that crazy? Probably. <laughs> I don't know if it's crazy. I think it's almost more rare. I think there's a, there's a key difference between being crazy and being rare. And I think you're one of those individuals that are pretty rare. Um, Steven, when did you sort of come across Ashley? I think I kind of want to unpack this relationship and, and why Ashley has been in the fold. Um, so what was your first impression of Ashley as, a, as an athlete, as a personality? Oh, I, I found Ashley through the gravel team that we sponsored for two years. 
Uh, she she was one of the early picks on that team, and she did her share of gravel racing. But she was the only one, the only person on the team who peeled off and got into bikepacking. Uh, and so that stuck out to me because I and Rodeo was doing more bikepacking and our customers are doing more bikepacking. And um, I, I didn't just want to be a gravel racing team that doesn't really tell the story of everything we're interested in. Uh, and and then I, I noticed like, oh, Ashley's a good communicator. She's a great communicator. And um, when you work with athletes or sponsor athletes, I, in my opinion, you really want to work with people who can just tell a story and then also can maybe they ride a bike really well. Uh, that That's good too. Uh, but Ashley, of course, checked both those boxes of like, wait, she's, she's bikepacking, she's racing, she's awesome. She really puts her personality out there and she tells a really good story. So, you know, the, she was supported mostly through that team. Uh, and then at the end of that relationship, uh, when I knew that it was sort of changing, she and I talked and we both sort of said, look, uh, if Rose is not working with the team anymore, is there any way I can still work with you? Because we just love everything you're about. Uh, the wins, the losses, the good races. And, you know, there's some sad, you know, not perfect race <laughs> events in the middle of all of that stuff. But it, it, it made for a really well-rounded human being that, that that was just doing really interesting and awesome things on the bike. So we just wanted to keep that going. I did. Uh, and Ashley was game and, that's that's really about as complicated as it is for me when I when I work with people is is uh, you know do they love riding bikes and do they love telling stories and and maybe sometimes they win which is cool but also also cool if they don't so <laughs> yeah yeah so this relationship course so you guys rodeo and Ashley became sort of personal sponsors a sponsor client or sponsor athlete company your relationship became personal in 2022 um but 2021 you were riding rodeo bikes um what were these two years like for your progression when you really got serious and really got professional with bikepacking you know uh, for me when i was on the that rodeo pro gravel team i just kind of felt like i didn't fit It, it and it wasn't um I, I just remember thinking like, I, man, I really, I really like this company. I really, I really like, there was a couple other sponsors that I really liked that they had. Um, Sportful was one of them. And I just, but I just didn't feel like I fit within their team. And so um, I, I, I would, I would show up to shorter races and I just, my, like, I just didn't want to be there as much. I wasn't as excited. And it wasn't until, I guess it was kind of towards the end of 2021, I had a horrible year in 2021. Like, I think there was, I don't, I don't know. I think there was like one race that I finished and it was 12 hour race. And I ended up winning it on the show pony. Actually, that was the first win on the show pony. And it was, it was just this awful year. And I I remember stopping and thinking like, okay, you need to reevaluate. What do you really want? And I knew that like my heart was really an ultra and it wasn't in the shorter gravel events. And that's when I, I just decided to, to kind of do my own thing. So that brings us to October of 2022, lining up at the Atlas mountain race. It, you mentioned it was a sort of bumpy build in 2021 and you had some ups and downs in 2022. Where was your mentality at the start line in Morocco? in October? Um, I was, I, I would say that this was one of the races where I showed up more disciplined and in my mind professional than I've ever showed up. Um, there was a switch made, I guess, in 2022 when I just started kind of seeing myself as not always, it doesn't always have to be about results. You know, it doesn't, it, because it can't be, you, you can't put your identity in, in, in results. You know, you can't, you can't just all be about that, but what you go and you do is your best. And if you're doing what you love, then you're going to, that's going to come through. That's going to be authentic and you're going to have a good time. You know, even, even if you get attacked by dogs, right. <laughs> or, or whatever, like you're still going to learn something and have a good time. And I, so I showed up to Atlas 
um, really, I felt like my head was in a good place. I knew, I knew what I wanted. Um, you know, I knew, I knew where I was going and I, I, I just, I really wanted to do well. So what did that, what did that process look like in terms of technical prep? Uh, was it training blocks in sort of a, a more traditional sense where you stay at home, you eat good meals, you go train as hard as you can, or was it more experimental training where you're like, I need to test gear. So I need to ride this loop that is three night, three days, and I'm going to sleep X amount of hours. And I'm going to put myself in those adverse positions. I might find myself in Morocco. I, I think it was, I think it was a mix. So a lot of it, I was afraid that it was going to be super hot. And so, cause I, you know, I've been looking at the weather like Steven, I'm like, Oh, October, God, it's going to be like hundred degrees. So I'm out there, like I'm in my trainer in the middle of the heat, you know, summer and I'm just sweating and I'm doing like VO2 intervals, threshold intervals. And then I go outside and ride another hour or two and I just have fun, you know, on the outside rides but so there was that side of it of me like trying to trying to get those intervals in trying to get the hard work done get that ftp up um and then there was the other side of it of me just going out and bike packing i guess it was in june where my goal was to ride to steamboat springs and then race the steamboat gravel event um, cause I was like, oh, I'm gonna get all this mileage in. And I ended up not getting the entry, but I still rode up there. So I still just did the 600 mile, 600 and something mile or maybe, yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like 600 miles. Anyway, I did it like four and a half days, had a great time, you know, across Colorado. And that was when it kind of hit me of, um, I'm ready for the Atlas mountain. Cause I felt good. I was happy doing that. And, um, I had, you know, with the gear, it's like, I feel like I kind of got that dialed. Like I know what I need to take in terms of sleeping or not sleeping. Um, you know, nutrition is key. That was very hard in Morocco. We can talk about that, but I, I, the, the like actual gear side of it, I feel like I've got pretty dialed. It's just the training. Steven, Steven, how would that build sort of compare to what you tried to do in the wintertime prepping for a February Atlas mountain race? Uh, well, I, I definitely wasn't riding in my tra- my trainer in the high heat like Ashley did. I remember she told me about that. She's like, I'm not even worried about the heat. Like, I'm training in the heat. I can handle the heat. Like, bring it on. And I thought, wow. I mean, she is on a whole other level. Uh, I When I did it, I signed up and I had three months to do it because I signed up early November and then it, you know, started in February and I just went into total panic mode because I had never bike packed before, uh, much less race. Um, and fear drove everything that I did because I didn't want to have anything bad happen and I didn't want to DNF and embarrass myself. Uh, so I, you know, I had a good talk with my wife where I said, look, if I sign up for this thing, I'll, I'll, I'll get up earlier and do more training to and from work, that sort of thing. So I'll get more miles midweek, but then I'm going to need one really long weekend mm-hmm. day, uh, where I get in, I don't know, six to 10 or 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll try and be home by noon or one, you know, uh, but sometimes I won't. And, and then that's We had a mild winter, which was really great that year where I was able to ride for those three months pretty consistently. And I, I just watched, you know, I tracked my fitness and I just watched it go up and to the right. And I had a number in my head, you know, Strava has this fitness score and that's as complicated as my training is. It's like, what's my fitness score? Uh, and I knew I wanted it to get to a hundred cause I figured the fittest I've ever been is a hundred. So maybe I, you know, I could just hit that. And, uh, it was like six, seven days before the race, I hit a hundred. Uh, and I thought I actually, I actually did it cause I'm not a structured disciplined person. I just couldn't even believe like I actually set a goal and completed my goal. Uh, and then when I did that, I was like, everything's going to be fine. I actually am in exactly the right amount of shape to do this race. And I didn't ride my bike for that week until the race started. And, um, that was enough. It was enough. You so it was it. like, your time was faster was... than mine. Like you crushed it. I've looked at your results. Oh, geez. <laughs> Well, I had food. food. (laughs) We'll talk about the food. Yeah, there was, there was such a, 
I'm sad that I will never, ever have a first bikepacking race ever again, because when I was preparing for the second one, I wasn't as scared. I wasn't going to the gym doing like aerobics classes. Um, like I just, I wasn't motivated in the same way. And that fear and excitement of doing something that you've never done before is so awesome. It is. It really uh, it's is. so motivating. It really is. We're going to do this. We're going to do this podcast episode again this summer when I do my first bikepacking race and you guys are going to interview me so we can really talk through this experience because I remember Stephen, um, this is early in our relationship. And I remember seeing what you were doing and following it pretty closely. And you did a really good job of sort of vocalizing your fears and anxiety um, in a way that I think was really productive and showed a really positive side to it in a way, even though it's sort of negative emotions. I think you you outlined them well and, and talked about how it all sort of came together. Um, Ashley, you're very positive. <laughs> yeah, she's super positive. And I'm super negative. <laughs> but I think it all, it's funny how it sort of works out. I, I am, I have always been that way since I was a little girl. Like, <laughs> it's always going to just be okay, you know? <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. <laughs> it has its ups and downs. Well, that's, that's one of my favorite <laughs> things. It's like, what is the secret nuclear reactor that Ashley has that she's positive when nothing positive is happening? It's gotten me through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It got me through. I would definitely say that it got me through the end of Atlas. So for me, like to get into the race for me, when they finally said go, um, I, it was like an out of body experience. It was like, I'm actually doing this thing that I've really nonstop thought about for three months. It's been my entire mental life is just thinking about this exact moment arriving. And then it happened and it was like this total euphoria of like, all I have to do now is ride my bike for a week. And, you know, everybody was charging and charging out of Marrakesh into the mountains. And it was like high energy and completely, completely irresponsible pace. Um, and like, how did it start for you? And like, what were you thinking about how fast you wanted to go, how far you wanted to get, how much you wanted to sleep? Like, how are you thinking about all of these things? When it started, it was kind of the same. They kind of, they bolted out, you know, and I, I knew cause I've, I've done these, you know, this wasn't my first one. And so I just, I, I just kind of tell myself, don't, don't worry about anyone passing you just go your pace. And, you know, get, I knew there was that big hill. I mean, it was basically climbing for the first, what, 12 hours or something. I mean, it's huge. The climb out of Marrakech. And, and then you kind of, you hit that top. Was it on the first day? I think, yeah, that you hit the high point. Yeah, yeah. The high point of the course oh, was day, only like 60 miles yeah. into the yeah, race. Yeah, easy. Yeah. And um, so I just kind of figured, well, people are going to blow themselves up on that if they keep going so fast, and I'm just going to go my own pace. And, of course, at that point, I felt great. Like that, those first, the, I would say the first day and a half, um, you know, I had my I had my nutrition. I was, I was feeling really good. Um, you know, I was dialed. And I, I didn't, I didn't even let it, like if a woman passed me, I didn't even, it didn't even, I just didn't even phase me. Like you can't worry about where you are because it's such a long race. You just do your own thing. So, so where are you? Like, what is the scenery around? Is it red rocks? Is it yeah, kind yeah. of more barren brown? So it starts, you know, in a huge, I mean, Marrakech is huge. And you kind of, you just, you're, you're on this straight away for quite some time of, of kind of kind of getting out into the quote suburb area, I guess you could kind of say it is. And then you, and then I just remember like you take this right and then you start climbing and you just kind of climb into the mountains and then you get into those, there's some stretches that are completely barren. And then, then there's other stretches of, of these little towns. And actually it was that first day where I hit one of my favorite towns. Cause you, you, it's like you, you, you climb this hill and then you start to, and it's nothing, you know, there's nothing out there. And then you start to descend into the, into the valley and it's lush and green. And there's like hardwoods, you know, um, they have walnuts down there. It's amazing. And the town has this little stream going through and there are these little kids running around and it was like cobblestoned um, streets. And I, it was, it was magical. Like it was really cool really cool place. I think I took that first day for granted 
because it it was all climbing, which is challenging, but it, uh, but what was awesome is that you're hitting the mountains. When I was there, there was a little bit of snow still on the highest points, and you did go through all those farms and those almond groves and those towns, and it was sort of like full of life and lush, and people came and go, and children are saying, you know, uh, what are they? What are they saying? It's not bonjour, merci. Bonjour, bonjour, it's bonjour, bonjour, and you're just like, this is the most yeah. perfect day ever. Oh yeah, it was uh, awesome. But it's the course isn't isn't like that for long. No, you you go over the Atlas Mountains to the yeah. backside of them, yeah. and then you're not in them anymore yeah. uh, on the backside of that super huge pass, and then it just gets dry and it's there, and uh, there's nothing spread out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everything changes. Yeah, it's, it's, um, everything changes. It's remote. It's barren. Um, it, it's, but in a kind of a cool, austere way, it's it's not, it's not bad. It's kind of like Utah, you know, sort of Moab's ish at times. Um, Yeah. yeah. There was another guy who was an American who lived in the UK and we, we both were kind of riding together. He was actually on a single speed, man, he was burly. And he, he and I looked at each other and we're like, this is Moab light. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought that many times I kind of felt like I was on another planet, but other times at home, uh, I don't live in Utah, but it's not that far away. Yeah. It, no, it's a lot, it's a lot like my home. And so for me, it was, you know, it, I, I, there were, there were just moments of, I could have been home, you know, minus the palm trees or whatever that were in some of the sections. But, um, yeah, no, it was, it was crazy. Ashley, what did you think of that pass, that climb up to it? Oh, I loved it. Um, it just was the perfect grade to like, kind of make you work. Um, and I, it was cool how there were, towns layered as you went up, you know, so there were little townships kind of as you went and each, each little town I hit, these little kids would run out and they were like running beside me. Um, most, mostly little boys. And I remember at one point, like the little boys were daring each other and one of them like (laughs) slapped my butt. I kind of, and I kind of waved, waved my finger at him and I just was like, oh man, boys will be boys, you know, and they're laughing. And it just, to me, it was just this like funny little moment of these children. And then I had another group that followed me. God, they ran beside me because <clears throat> it was super steep. I swear it was like for at least a kilometer or two. <laughs> they just wow. like running beside me. And that was towards the top, one of those last towns up there. And man, once you topped out the descent, however, <laughs> was definitely um, not as as lovely as that nice road climb. Yeah, there, there really wasn't much of a route there to follow. No. Um, if you if you weren't really disciplined about following those dots, uh, it was yep. sort of you would get lost. Yep, it was that that section was crazy, and in fact, I I came a across a couple other racers who were just like wandering. <laughs> and I said, Oh, you know, here's the track. I remember being like, Steven told me to follow my dots. That's I kept that in my mind the whole time because we had talked about the course. And I was cool. like, follow that E-Trex, follow that E-Trex. And I did, I did end up getting it off course at one point, but um, yeah, no, that section was, was crazy wild. Um, and it was, it, it was, it was single track that was kind of just unrideable. <laughs> So, so what was the, what was the, the species of research that you both did before going in? Did you want to go in somewhat blind or were you like, I'm going to look at Google Earth street view of this town in Southwest Morocco? I wish I would have done more of that, but I never do. I always say that I'm going to, <laughs> and I kind of go into them and just be, I just kind of look at it on, you know, I'll, I'll take the GPX track from the race and then I'll move it over to ride with GPS. And then I'll kind of use ride with GPS to kind of make my own, um, like days or, um, you know, I, I kind of will look at it, look at the towns through there, but I really, I really should be a little bit more disciplined about that. I honestly, I just asked Steven on this one <laughs> and he, and he took a lot of time and, and 
you know, told me about the course and, and the drinkable yogurt, which saved my life. So, <laughs> uh, for me, I, I remember doing similar to what Ashley did. I took the, the track and I put it in Google earth, uh, and looked at it in like Google earth 3d view. Uh, cause I wanted to see the mountains. I have a hard time reading topo lines and really making that much mm-hmm. sense of them. Uh, li- uh, there are many times where I'll look at topos and think that, oh, I must be going downhill and it will be a climb like I'm in that backwards. So when you can actually just see the mountain, uh, and the line going over it, that helps. But that was kind of it for me preparing. Um, I, I scrolled through the course and I thought, hmm, kind of looks like Mars. Um, and, <laughs> and then there were other racers who were kind of sharing like a spreadsheet that had like, uh, this many kilometers from the start to the first, you know, official food availability town or, or village. Uh, okay. And then this many kilometers to water. So I had that laminated in my little bag. And when I would get to water or food, I would look at that and say, all right, well, it seems like maybe 30 kilometers or 80 kilometers. Do I need to hoard or am I going to be okay? So I way under scouted the course. Um, and and in in some ways I paid for it, but I don't really have any regrets in the end because it was kind of cool to go to a place. It's like watching a movie without seeing the trailer and you don't really quite know what you're going to get. And then it's even more exciting because it just hits you real time. And, And that ended up being fine. Um, but I definitely would have maybe pushed further on certain days or slept sooner certain nights, um, or bought more food or less. Uh, at some moments, if I had really (laughs) bothered to research what I was about to do in that way. I researched gear and training and did not spend enough time researching the the route. Yeah. So to, I know, I know I want to save the food discussion for the end because that's, I think where the drama of at least Ashley's story comes to ahead. But to talk about prep, uh, Stephen, I remember clearly you talking about this sort of consternation about tents and sleeping bags and bivvies. Um, what were your equipment decisions when you were considering sleeping and bike packing, but also in a race format when you chose to go? And, and then Ashley, did you learn from those, those decisions and what is your sort of go-to? Well, Ashley has the advantage of, you know, she's a, she's like a professional at this and she's comfortable and has experience being outside uh, and I've, I've been outside overnight before, but I hadn't bikepacked like this. So I was scared uh, and I I wanted to be in a space that was mine when I went to bed, not laying under the stars. So I brought a small tent, uh, which was just so inefficient. I wasted over the course of the race so many hours putting a tent up. It was so dumb. But in another way, it wasn't dumb at all because when I got in my tent, at the you know I felt safe. And that like, this was my time to kind of recharge and not worry about, I don't know, scorpions probably aren't even any scorpions anyway, but you can't tell yourself that when you're scared. So that was, it was a good idea to have that for me. But if if I was going to go again, I would barely have a bivy sack probably as long as the forecast was okay. And I would just be like, all right, I'm going to lay my head on this rock for two hours and then I'm going to get up and keep going. And I would have saved at like an hour every stop. Um, But oh, well. You know, I think it goes both ways when it depends on kind of what you want out of your race. Um, if you are one who needs more sleep, then, then by all means have that tent or have that sleeping pad. You know, I'm kind of the type of person who just sleeps anywhere. (laughs) Like I just can lay on the ground and be like, "Mm, those pine needles look good. You know, of course there were no pine needles, but Um, I learned that on my first bike packing race to the Colorado trail when, um, I had brought more gear and then finally got to the point where towards the end, I was just like laying down, you know? (laughs) Um, but I, I, it, it, it does, it, it, it's personal. I, people ask me that all the time and I think it's just personal. I'm, I'm a preference. My preference is my puffy pants and puffy jacket and a bivy. If it's super cold, I need, I need a sleeping bag as well, but um, you know, this one wasn't that cold, so I didn't even bring a sleeping bag. Wow. That is oh, there is one thing that I always have though, by the way, and it is this inflatable pillow <laughs> always. It's worth it. You got to support the neck. You gotta um, the neck. <laughs> you got us at the very least, at the very <laughs> least support the neck. 
there's nothing worse than neck pain when you're riding, if we're being honest. So talking about preparedness, we've been dancing around the subject, but now it's time. Ashley, the big <laughs> challenge for the Atlas Mountain Race was eating food. Why was this a unique challenge for the Atlas Mountain Race? Okay, so I have a serious gluten allergy. If When I eat gluten, I get very sick. Um, you know, and it lasts this, I ended up getting contaminated in Morocco towards the end and it lasted a month and I was sick for a month. Um, um, you know, I got, I mouth sores, had to get on antibiotic. I mean, just it's, it gets, it's bad. Um, you know, digestive issues. I'm going to the bathroom all the time. I get rash on my, this time I got like a rash on my no elbows and knees for some reason it was itchy anyway so I, I avoid it like the plague and um i had gotten into marrakech and i saw there was this like huge sections in the grocery stores gluten-free and I'm like oh my gosh this is gonna be great i've got this and what i didn't i should have researched a little bit more but wheat is a very um important part of their diet and out of every single every little place that I went outside of Mar, it was like Marrakesh was the only place where I could actually find potato chips. Oh, and Agadir, the end potato, like normal Lay's potato chips, all the rest of them had gluten. It was crazy. Um, I had these little cards made out that in Arabic and then in Berber, you know, that explained celiac disease and like what it is and what I can't have. And I was passing out this card to everybody and they would look at me like I was crazy and I go into these little shops and the only thing I could eat was like, I would find a chocolate bar occasionally. And it, this was so crazy to me. I couldn't believe it. But occasionally I find olives um, and almonds, which, you know, were great, but it's not enough. You got to have carbs. I would go to those little restaurants and order an omelet, which is basically just fried eggs with cumin on top, kind of runny. And everybody else was sitting there eating bread with theirs and I couldn't eat the bread. So and you're it, saying that it's not a good idea to be keto going into uh bikepacking <laughs> race. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You just need carbs. I like, I, I thought I would be fine, but I, I mean, there were moments where I was so dizzy and nauseous. I, I can't even, I, it was, it was crazy. Like I, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget it of laying on the side of the road so nauseous and so dizzy. And it's because I was starving. <laughs> so how would, uh, how did this compare to say Chile when you were you know, kind of looking for the same needs? Obviously the it's about as far away from Morocco as you can get on a map, but well, I think totally. there should be some similar challenges. Totally. So, you know, there were a couple of, a couple of places in Chile where I couldn't, I, I was like, oh, I've, I can eat olives in a Red Bull, you know, but at least I had the Red Bull that had the, you know, I was carrying, I was taking, I was drinking Coke as well in Morocco if I could find it. But like in Chile, there's a lot of potatoes and there's a lot of corn and they have Cheetos, you know, like the brand of Cheetos, you know, or Fritos or something like that, that is, is gluten-free, you know, junk food that you can eat, that you kind of need on these bikepacking. When you're pushing your body for 20 plus hours, you need a lot of food. You need a lot of carbs. You need fat. You need carbs. You need sugar. And in Chile, I could also get um, French fries, which I did find in the end on that last, that last aid station or the last um, checkpoint, checkpoint three, I could eat so much food there. But it was like at that point, my body had already gone so deep that I was so slow after that checkpoint three. Like this one guy caught me and he's like, I couldn't even believe how slow you were moving. I'm like, oh yeah, thanks. That made me feel real good, you know? And I think it was because I had already dug so deep and I was just, you know, I, I, I was starving. <laughs> it, I couldn't, were- it, it, it took more than a, than a couple of things of French fries to, to, to make up for what I had lost. Um, it, it was, it was really crazy. I, I, I should have done better. I, I kind of blame myself. I should have done better about researching my food choices there, but even that, I don't think I would have there. I don't think I could have gotten, gotten around this. It's hard to carry that, that much food, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not used to starving myself. <laughs>
as if ultra ultra races weren't difficult enough you just had to, you were just snacked on yourself the entire time you just like cannibalized your own body i did i yeah. i lost like 10 pounds in morocco it was really amazing um, wow yeah you know i put it back on things but i just um it, it was it turns out that you really you really do need carbs guys <laughs> were you I don't understand how you can exist in that state, um, but clearly you kept going. But it, so this is like what four or five days of starvation it, and having trouble was, eating. Like, how do you even pass the time? You know, so I, there wasn't completely starving because I had those omelets and I had those drinkable yogurts. Remember. Right. And I remember it was on the old Colonial Road, which was really one of my favorite sections of the entire course. So beautiful. I mean, it was, it definitely beat you up because of all the rocks, but I had, I packed like 10 of those. Cause the only thing I could eat at the last aid station or stop before the old colonial road was those drinkable yogurts. And I packed like 10 of them and runny omelets in my back pocket. And so I was, I did have some food, but like, I, I just, I put, I used my music a lot more this time to kind of, um, switch my mind off of it. I had thankfully taken Zofran with me, which is like a nausea med, um, which didn't really help, but I would occasionally take the Zofran if I had to, cause I was nauseous. And as for what am I thinking about, you know, I, I was, I was thinking about, about the scenery, you know, I was taking it in. And I was thinking about also I the whole time I I was so uh, this is so horrible to say but I was disappointed in my time I was disappointed that I wasn't moving as fast as I thought I could. <laughs> just, just Actually, crazy. You're, so you're in a situation where you're sort of fighting for not your life but you're fighting for that sort of basic survival. The the competitive juices still flow. Oh my goodness! Yes, I'm so competitive. I was mad that I was not. I remember at one point, this one guy comes up to me and he's like, you know, man, you're doing great. And I was like, you know, yeah, but I really wanted to be in the top 20 at least. And he says, have you seen the top 20 riders? They're like the best in the world. And I looked at him and I was like, but I want to be the best in the world. Yes. Yes. And I, I might never be that, but I'm going to try, darn it. <laughs> what's, what's really striking about this story is, in my experience in a place like Ecuador, where I was way up in the Andes mountains down tiny dirt roads and I'd get to small towns and there would still be sort of convenience stores with mainstream snacks. Like how remote are these outposts? Well, it was remote, but the thing is, is that they did have like what looked like universal treats. It's just that they were all brands that were so off of what I'm used to seeing. And I had thankfully memorized the, the word for gluten or wheat in both Berber, French, and, and Arabic. And I would turn those, those snacks, you know, look at the labels and there it would be contains wheat. It was crazy. So it's not like, I mean, it was remote and Stephen, you could attest to this too. It's extremely remote, but they did have like, even like you'd be out there in the middle of nowhere and you come across this little, you know, teeny tiny little store and thank goodness the Moroccan people are so kind that they would always bring me out tea. And I felt like I was just surviving off of the caffeine and the sugar in the tea. Cause I would like add as much sugar as I could, but you know, they're, they're, they, they just, I guess the, the, whatever brands they have there, they have wheat. <laughs> Just it's crazy. I had nothing even approaching Ashley's level of difficulty, uh, nutritionally, but, uh, I had never also tried to make my body eat nonstop, you know, kind of for a week. Mm. Uh, so I, you know, the first day is a gimme. Like your body doesn't really start telling you that you're doing everything wrong, probably on the first day. Um, but like by the time the second and third days come around, you start to realize like all this stuff I brought, I can't keep eating it. Um, I don't even like that anymore. Uh, that's giving me like sugar sores on my tongue. So you start to like 
you know, raid these little shops and convenience places. I mean, it's not like a Seven Eleven, um, but shops, little doorways that have food stores in them, and you know, I don't know, no cash register, but you know, cookies and chocolate bars and whatever you can find. Uh, and you start, you just look at the package, and you go, your body's like, I'm not eating that. I'm not eating that. I'm eating it. And then you see a label, and you're like, I think maybe I could eat that. I could get that down. So it's like canned uh, sardines. Uh, in marinara sauce, all of a sudden, were the most amazing discovery on like the third day. I'd never had them. I hate sardines, but in I that moment, sardines. he was like, "Stephen, you need protein." And I was like, "Oh, I, I, all right, I'm gonna go for it." Um, and then, I tried to stomach the sardines. I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they were not, and there were different flavors, which of course I also learned. You know, there's basic, and then there was like, you know these sauces, and there was a whole thing. Um, and it, but the thing that I finally found, and we've talked a little bit about it, was like this yogurt that was sitting in these fridges that weren't plugged <laughs> in. The fridges were just there to keep things from being maybe too hot. Maybe like there were more coolers than refrigerators. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, you start to think, well, I mean, if they're there and they're for sale and everybody else is like buys them, I guess I'm going to try some. And I remember drinking that and thinking, this is it. This is what's going to get me to the end uh, because it just had sugar and fat. And, you know, whatever I needed in it that I was mysteriously not able to stomach, you could just drink one of those things and be sort of okay. And that was like day three or four when that hit. And and just like Ashley, I never had nine in my bag. That's incredible. <laughs> but I always tried to have like, I don't know, three to five. Um, and I would panic when I was getting down to two and one. And I was like, oh, man, when those are gone, I got to go back to eating whatever else it is that's still in my bag that I hate. Um, so they they were a lifesaver. But I never starved or consumed my own muscles. <laughs> so <laughs> Ashley's experience is like, it's just bonkers. And I don't know how I could have dealt with that mental setback of like, this isn't what I expected it to be. I'm not doing as well as I thought I would. And even the very act of eating, much less pedaling my bike is, is difficult or impossible at times. Uh, so it's like you, you, it's like almost like you competed in like an, a, a, a double hard race or, you know, two, two of the races at the same time. Uh, whereas I was only riding one of them. Not pile on top of that, but there was still one more experience you kind of had to deal with in this is, is serious and I think is something that we should talk about just so other people, other women in your position have the information that they need when they're approaching this. So as you eloquently wrote in your blog post about it, you had a run-in with a man towards the end of the race. Yeah. What was that experience like when you're dealing with all the other adversity and being a woman trying to do these long multi-day endurance activities? Yeah, that was... That was... That was difficult. It was one of the reasons why it took me so long to write that blog. But, um, you know, on top of it all, I had wrecked on that last day as well. So I, I was, I had kind of that, I guess it was the last 24 hours. I knew I was going to just go through the night and, um, finish the beast that is the Atlas mountain race. And I had kind of just stopped eating too, because I, I couldn't find anything. And I was, I, I kept trying to eat these dank French fries that were in my, in my bag and they were starting to get really soggy and gross. And, um, so I'd stopped eating and, uh, probably eight hours, maybe 10 hours of really nothing. Um, I was, it, it gets, it's really sandy. The last section of the course, he said he took out the sand, but there was still some really good, some really good sandy sections. And, I was passing this one guy on his way to work or whatever he was doing. I'm guessing he was going to work. It was really early in the morning and I just wiped out and I wiped out hard, really hard into the sand. Um, and I broke a rib and I know I broke a rib and it was, I've done that before and, and it, it hurt. Um, uh, but I knew I, I could breathe. I could take some deep breaths. So I kept going and I looked at that point, just awful. I know I looked um, you know, I was starving, horrible taste in my, I'll never forget the taste in my mouth. I, I don't know what, like, there's never been an, it's, it's this weird taste and I was super sandy and, um, broken rib and, and I'm, I'm riding and, and this guy on a motorbike kind of comes up and he just like, I think he's just, he sees that I look horrible and he wants to help me out. And so he's like, Oh, get on the motorbike with me and I'll put your bike on there too. And I said, no, no, no. You know, 
And I ended up, he kept pointing to the bottom of the bike and I had a, a volet strap that I had an Nalgene bottle strapped onto an anything cage for extra water. And it was flapping. I knew it was, but I just, my rib hurt so bad and I didn't really want to bend over. And so finally I'm like, God, if this, he keeps bothering me and it's kind of starting to wig me out. Like I'm most of the, most of the, all the gentlemen in Morocco were nothing but nice and, and just good to me. But this one was kind of starting to wig me out. So I was like, well, maybe if I stop, he'll go away. So I did. I stopped. And um, he helped me with the strap, which was nice. And then he just grabbed me, you know, he just, he just did. He, he grabbed me and, and I didn't write this in the blog, but I could, he, he kind of grabbed my, my breast and um, started kissing my cheek. And I remember, I will never forget that moment of you need to cowgirl up. Like you need to hit that help button on your, on your spot tracker, or you need to do something. And I couldn't, I couldn't reach the help button and it hurt because of the rib. And, um, I just got so angry. I was so angry. I'm like, you know, you don't touch the goods. What are you doing? And so I just, I, I, I pushed him off and I screamed at him. Like I, like I said in my blog, like I scream at a bad naughty dog. I said, no. And I just wagged my finger at him and he kind of backed off and got on his motorbike and went away. And I remember just standing there afterwards, just thinking, what the heck just happened? <laughs> you know, trying to take it all in. Like, was that what I thought it was? Nah, no, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. It's nothing. Don't make a big deal out about this. And so I didn't. I got on the bike and I finished. And as time went on, I realized, you know, that was basically assault. <laughs> and I need to, um, you know, I, I need to handle it appropriately. So I wrote about it. And I, I don't, I, I, I want to make sure that, it, you know, that it didn't look bad on the people of Morocco. And I wanted to make sure that it didn't look bad on the race because it is an amazing place and an amazing race. But I think it's still something that as women, when we are out there alone, that this can happen and that we need to be prepared for it. With what happened and with your experiences being a very independent woman, what do you hope other women who might be thinking about taking on a race like this take away from your experience and what would you say to them if you were trying to encourage them to kind of stay the course, be strong and, and stand up for themselves and pursue the things they really enjoy? I think that's just it is I would encourage women to still go out there and to do this, but they need to, they need to realize that it is a risk. And if it does happen for me, I think the thing that saved me was that I did get aggressive with him. And I said, no, I, the, the majority of this world are not rapists and murderers. You know, I, the, the, every single country that I have been to, every single bike race that I have done, especially these ultras, has renewed my faith in humanity because people have treated me so well, no matter where I am, Chile, in Morocco, um, Costa Rica. But I think that there needs to be, um, you know, acknowledge the fact that as a woman out there alone, that these things can happen and that you need to stick up for yourself. You need to have some type of protection and don't be afraid of it. Cause most likely it's not going to happen. This was, I, I really believe that this was just a fluke that happened in Morocco. I, I, that's why like I said, I would go back and do it again, but different cultures also, um, I think, lean towards maybe the woman just needs to be a little bit more aggressive and just say no, <laughs> you know, it's sad that it has to be that way, but it, it's, it is how it is. So taking consideration of all of what you experienced and the victory, but also the sense of defeat that you got from the food situation and maybe some of your perception of your own preparedness, how have you taken this experience and translated it into your plans for 2023? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that 
I, I, I did well in Atlas. I did do well. And I, I, I did well because I overcame some obstacles that were there. Um, but I still, I still believe finishing that I was like, God, I could have even pushed harder. I, I can't, I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not done. You know, I'm older. I'm, I'm 40 for goodness sakes. And I, but I started this sport late, but I just have this feeling that I'm not done, that I could push a little bit harder. And I think this year there's a couple of races that I'd like to do. Um, I want to do the Hellenic mountain race again, or for the first time, um, which would be in May. And that's another one of Nelson's it's in Greece. And then I'll be back in Chile for a cross Andes, hopefully um, next November. And, and both of those are big. I also want to do the Colorado trail race again. Um, I want to go back to that, to my roots on the Colorado trail race this year. It's really important to me. And I just, I, I think I can push harder. I think I can dial in that nutrition even more. I don't think I need as much sleep as I'm getting. Um, and as for training, I think I could even train harder. I'm not done yet. <laughs> That's where I'm at. <laughs> that sure is my takeaway. Steven, how do you think you have processed your race from a couple of years ago? And how has that informed what you continue to do on the bike now? Uh, well, I, I still process that all the time, that race. Um, but I, I was telling someone yesterday, I don't think bikepacking races are going to be a regular thing for me. I think what I've learned, I learned in that race, and then I learned from watching other races and other documentaries, and, and then the athletes who are really good at it, is that they, they have something special. Ashley has it. I've talked to Jay about it. Um, but really, all these people that operate on a high level, they have a stoicism and um, kind of a eye on the prize and a consistency that they're able to maintain when things get bad. And I'm, I am a super emotional uh, bike rider or racer, uh, high highs and low lows. And I, I just can't make it a regular thing to, to go out and explore that range all the time. Like I kind of need to recharge some life battery and then think, all right, I'm ready to do this again. So like that was, easily probably the most definitive experience I've ever had on a bike doing that race. Um, and it, and it was actually in a way life changing for me, but for me, maybe it was like one of the, the mountaintops of life, not one of many mountaintops of life in that way. So, you know, I don't, I want to do one of those races every year or maybe every couple of years. I think maybe I'll probably do one again, but I'm, I'm an amateur kind of normal human, uh, and it's okay to make peace with that. Uh, and then it's okay to kind of learn and watch from the people who, who are able to go back and do it again and dig deeper. Like, you know, Ashley saying, I could have slept less. I could have trained harder. I could have ridden harder. I, I don't have those thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, you know, and I did want to go back and do it again, but my premise was I went about as fast as I could go. Um, I just want to make fewer mistakes if I do it next time and be more mm. efficient, be less wasteful. That was my challenge to myself was what did I learn about bikepacking in, in my style and then how other people did it um, that could have saved, I'm going to say, 12 to 18 hours from my race if I had yeah. just been a better racer. And in a way, that's kind of free time. So there's still questions to ask, but I think any event that I do were due for a second time, there has to be a, a question attached to it. That's like, what can I grow at? What can I do better? Um, what didn't I like about the last time? And, and then that's my reason to go back and do more of it. And I still think probably I would need to find my reason for doing another bikepacking race because it's, it's for me, it isn't to win. It'll never be that. Um, so there has to be some other, you know, muse or question. Uh, and then, then it's worth doing. Then you get hungry again. So, <laughs> Ashley, to kind of have a, a note to end on, for those who might be lining up for the race in early February, what would be your one sort of parting thought or parting piece of advice 
to anyone who might be taking on this challenge for the first time? I just enjoy the moment, roll with the punches, you know, because you don't know what's going to happen out there. That that's that's my advice to anyone at a, at the start line of any ultra. Just enjoy the moment and be prepared for anything. I mean, it flooded on us <laughs> the first day. I'll never forget amazing. that. It was amazing. You know, so yes, enjoy the moment. It's a, it's a gift. I think, I think it's a gift to be able to do that is a gift. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy that first day. Atlas mountain race starting February 3rd this year. Ashley, thanks for joining us today. Thank you guys. Steven, thank you as always. Thank you to Q for the music. We'll be back soon with more episodes. We're really lining up a lot of stuff here at the Rodeo Podcast. And we thank you all for listening so far. With that, good morning, good evening, good night. And I'll see you all soon. Podcast. Podcast. Film.